Okay, good morning. We will continue where we have this thought. A little bit of repetition. So, uh, scatter plot or xy plot, we can compare the two variables, x and y. Um, so, every data point has two attributes, x and y, and you can plot it. Of course, this is, does not scale for high dimensional space. Three dimensions kind of what you can imagine still rotate, but uh, higher than that, it is a um, different type of brain than mine. Uh, but we can, we can see the relationships between X and Y uh, attributes. And uh, that's what we can measure by correlation uh, coefficients. Uh, or try to fit some function to the uh, through the data to predict from x to predict y, for example. Um, so by plotting the data, you can see if there is some uh, relationship between the two variables: the positive relationship, uh, positive correlation, negative correlation. There is some relationship, but uh, it takes perhaps a polynomial function to fit in, in this data. And uh, in here, you could say that there is no clear correlation uh, between x and y. They are kind of independent. The correlation uh, can be measured by this scary looking uh, formulas. But if you think it's uh, the covariance over the uh, standard deviations, or you can uh, plug in here the expectation, uh, expected values of joint distributions, etc. But this is for the sample correlation, person correlation. What you really do is uh, this, uh, this is already rather a simple formula. So basically, for x, I, Y, I, so every X, Y pair, uh, you see this value is related to the mean value of X. Uh, if they are both higher, you get uh, high positive value. If they are both lower, you get uh, correlation value. If one is higher than average, the other is lower than average, then you get the negative value in here, and then you divide by, by basically this is standard deviations in here. So what, what you want to see is uh, something that if one gets larger, the other value gets larger, uh, or vice versa, the negative correlation. Uh, on the line, you have a perfect uh, fit, x, y, you have a 100% correlation or correlation one or minus one, if the cloud is uh, more sparse, then the correlation gets zero in the middle. The slope of the cloud does not matter in this case. So these are all perfectly, these are perfectly correlated. One gets higher, the other gets higher, there is a linear function through them. Uh, but in here, uh, there is zero correlation because one does not vary. One does not vary at all. 
And uh, by plotting, you can observe that there are many different ways to plot data. There is obviously some pattern in, in the data, but by just looking at the correlation, there is zero correlation. Uh, so visualizing the data and calculating some numbers are not exactly uh, the same. They do not always replace each other. Um, so uh, this is, I think uh, I already showed this slide uh, last Thursday. So for the particular data set X, Y, you can calculate uh, you can calculate uh, different numeric data, but turns out that by plotting you, these data sets could be very different. Uh, all the one, two, three, four data sets have exactly the same uh, uh, the same uh, values. The mean uh, means and variances are the, to the two decimal points to two decimal points. Correlation is 0.816 to three decimal points. And you can fit the linear line through the data by linear regression. So by the numeric data, they look exactly the same. This is a little bit artificially generated data that you can, you can grab this uh, example and, and plot and see that this is indeed true. Next Thursday, in the next lecture, I asked uh, Jean-Michel Lamerel to talk about the regression method. So you have uh, data, and what I keep telling you here is a linear regression line through the data, how to predict y from x, but uh, the methods do not need to be linear uh, regression, but there are other types of regression. You can fit for non-linear functions, so there will be lecture on regression methods. Okay, um, in this set of lectures, we have sort of uh, talked about pre-processing of the data. Data comes in, and we need to do pre-processing before we start some more serious analysis. Because in most of the cases, when you start applying serious analysis algorithms, uh, they make some assumptions. Uh, you need to calculate the distances, etc. Data has to be complete, data has to be comparable, etc. So the, the goal is to pre-process data. And this descriptive summarization and visualization sort of help you to understand the data and help you to understand how, how you can or should correct the data. Are there some outliers? What are the are there some strange trends in the data, uh, are the data comparable somehow. So basically we are talking about data cleaning. Here. But uh, summarization is one part of this understanding the data. Of course you can later also say that most of this data summarization has to go to the end users desktop so that they can interpret the data, uh, the final results. But in here we are kind of talking about data cleaning. Uh, as part of the pre-processing of the data. 
so data needs to be cleaned. That, of course, implies that the data is somehow dirty. And we uh, need to understand all the different ways how the data could be dirty. And then the integration of data and transformation of data. So if, if data is somehow not comparable, how to transform the data so that we, they will be more comparable to each other. And then in the pre-processing, you can also start talking about if you have too much data, how can you reduce the amount of data to smaller amounts that is somehow better to analyze? We, we are not so proud that we have so much data, we have to make it smaller so that we can somehow more sensibly analyze it. And especially in this data reduction step, sometimes uh, concepts like uh, discretization instead of floating point numbers, very high precision uh, floating point numbers, why don't we uh, discretize and, and uh, uh, or use some concept priorities uh, in the data? So let's see uh, what do we have. Uh, it is extremely important because without Without data that is clean and comparable, you can't get good results. Garbage in, garbage out. So we have to make sure that what we put in is not garbage. Uh, so it's definitely a very important task, but there is no single, uh, uh, no single approach to it. Because data can be uh, dirty in many different ways, so it's kind of by doing and, and trying different things and, and uh, learning from the experience. Briefly, I mentioned, uh, for example, the data cleaning, filling in missing values. And, and this is also one of the, we, we sort of discussed it here uh, last Thursday as one of the first things, how to, how to deal with uh, missing values. Uh, so basically, I, I do not add much in here. We may identify outliers, smooth out some noise, uh, correct for inconsistencies. So I will show some of the uh, some of the things. So data definitely can be missing sometimes. You fill in the uh, forms, you leave some form and fields empty, or your handwriting is unreadable. So these will be missing values. The equipment may malfunction, so there can be missing values. Uh, there could be many different reasons why data is missing. Historically, maybe nobody recorded some part of the data, only some other part of the data. Uh, so you could say that. If some, uh, if some class label is missing, perhaps we can predict the class label by some machine learning. Or basically, label or any value, if this is missing, we could say that, oh, but we have so many other examples, why don't we learn how to predict this value? Uh, a 
of course, you could say that, oh, let's just apply not known or unknown or not available and may uh, tag those uh, fields that are missing. But then in the analysis, analysis algorithms somehow need to take into account how to deal with these missing values anyhow. Uh, so the attribute mean for the certain height parameter fill in that average height, for example, or you could say that, okay, let's be a little bit more smarter. If, if the person is a man, men are usually slightly taller, so let's put the male average height in this class. So to be more smart by, by class, looking at the class label. Um, but of course, uh, it would be so desirable to somehow predict the most probable value for any missing value. And uh, we did discuss uh, the, this k nearest neighbors implication, which if you try to infer the value, then you, one of the easiest one of the easiest ways in the machine learning is to say that, okay, we need to predict this value for this row of data. Uh, how can we find the k nearest, most similar other rows? We don't have this piece of information, but based on the rest of the data, why don't we find k nearest, most similar examples in the data? k can be 1, 2, 10, 100. You can vary the number of k. But let's just grab the most uh, similar data points, other data points, and estimate the missing value from there. So in this case, we looked at this uh, data set in here, and they asked if this is data is missing for data point number four, the attribute number three is missing. So if you look at the three, three, five, there is three, three, five in there. There is three, three, six in there. And there is uh, three, three, five in there. All of those have one in the location of data attribute three. So if we say that k nearest neighbor is three nearest neighbor, all of those will tell you put one in here, which is very simple uh, approach. And it seems that there is no other row that is as similar to this three, three, five. Um, and as, as I said, in more general terms, you could say that, oh, let's learn some predictors for every data value based on the existing data, and then using these imputation methods, try to impute every value. Um, I, I think I mentioned the Once in the lecture, at least, this Netflix challenge. Do you remember what Netflix <coughs> challenge was? <coughs> One million dollars was offered to the best team. So basically, there was something like uh, I don't I don't remember now by heart. Was it? One million people 
maybe it was a bit less. Uh, if there is 25,000 movies, <coughs> then one person rates one particular movie, this movie five stars, this movie three stars, this movie one star, this movie five stars. And of course, uh, very few people look at all the 25,000 movies and give the ratings for 25,000 movies. So this matrix will be extremely sparse. But still the question is, what would, what would be all these missing values in here? Based on all these existing data, to learn to classify or to, to assess what might be the most likely uh, function. Uh, so this k-nearest neighbor approach would say that, oh, just uh, I want for this person, or for this person I want these values. Uh, I know some classification that they have made, so let's try to find those rows that have most similar profile, and from those estimate those missing values. So, although quite simplistic, uh, this, this may give you the very good first approximation of the, of the value. Uh, okay, so that was uh, about the missing values. Um, Uh, in here, you could, of course, start thinking how, uh, how, how could you start making it better. Of course, you could always uh, see what is the value distribution in general. If, if everybody thinks that this is a lousy movie, then probably you have assumption that it will be a lousy movie. Uh, prior assumptions, so you can start playing with different types of inference uh, games in here. Uh, so that was about the missing values. Noise in the data. Uh, noise can be typos. The most simple thing is, of course, typos. Lots of manual data entry. Uh, false in instruments. Uh, data can be corrupted in the, the transmission. Uh, technologies may have some limits, boundaries. I can only measure in this range. So if it's out of the range, I can't uh, measure that. Uh, all kinds of naming conventions from different data sources. From da different data sources, you can have lots of duplicate records. Uh, you, can, you can have incomplete or sort of, of course, this resembles the missing values, and inconsistent data. Uh, binning is, you can think of almost like you have been doing these histograms, right? Let's make the bins as histograms, and instead of some numeric uh, value, why don't we just call classify into say five bins? Yeah, and then you have instead of the complex number, you have just one of the five classes already. So binning uh, would be already also reducing data, and even if there is some noise, it would uh, get rid uh, a large part of the noise. Uh, 
uh, binning, as in the histograms, you can use different uh, bin boundaries, different bin widths, uh, and then you can say that, okay, let's make uh, every bin to have equal frequency, equal amount of, like, you want to make uh, teams, every team has to have about the same number of people, right? Um, regression methods uh, smooth the data if you can predict from one value to the other, then why do, why do we need to keep the other value? Let's just keep one value and predict the other one by just function. Uh, clustering, we start talking about today, uh, clustering is grouping the data and saying that instead of, instead of a very complicated attribute, uh, let's group these movie-watching uh, people into those who love the, the sci-fi movies, so those who love the romance, those who love the, I don't know, what the, Tango uh, Adicionados. So clustering is grouping, uh, grouping data. Um, when you get uh, real value data, then binning or somehow making the values discrete. Um, so these examples, like if you have data 4, 8, 9, 15, 21, 21, uh, it looks like just data that you could fit in the the density histogram or make the histogram with density plot or do the histograms, then if you're asked group these data into three categories, three bins, then if the every bin has equal frequency of the data, then four values in each bin, 12 values altogether, let's take the four smallest values, bin one, uh, Four middle values and four largest values, you have one, two, three bins or categories. But now, once you have these bins, so 4, 8, 9, 15, you could say that, oh, let's score all of these data by their mean value, which would be 9, <coughs> 23 and 29. Uh, that means that uh, just center point of every bin. And then the distances between bins can be, value-wise, can be uh, different. They are not equal histogram uh, bin widths in here. <coughs> or you could say that uh, uh, every data point will be allocated to the low starting point of the bin and the end point of the bin. So the data is between 4, four or 15. 21 or 25, 26 or 34, and nothing, nothing else. Um, of course, that that would somehow not sound very nice if, if the bin boundary is exactly 25, 26. If 25, 25, um, somehow it maybe it's not so so intuitive. Maybe this one is more intuitive. But at least in theory, you would have equal number of data points in each bin. Uh, uh, regression, uh, I mentioned, and next week we will hear more. Cluster analysis tries to identify groups in the data, and instead of the 
complicated uh, vector representing this data point, you just say that this data belongs to uh, group one. One, two, three groups, and maybe some outliers. So for customer segmentation, you would just segment customers into groups. This type, this type, this type, regardless of all the ways how they would behave. Um, so we, we, we sort of continue this uh, tedious listing of different uh, techniques. Data cleaning as a process, um, you could uh, look at the discrepancies, uh, discrepancies in the data. You have to have some metadata uh, about the value ranges or distributions so you can compare against this metadata. Um, you can do different types of uh, plotting and, and, uh, and uh, looking at the data. And once you start look, looking uh, of the data, then we need to have all these integration uh, problems. When you take data from multiple sources, of course, if you design the database for, for students, you will have different names than when team decides. <coughs> and somehow, when you start these, putting this together, we have, you have to understand, do you mean the same thing? Do what which attributes you call the same, and are the values used in the database uh, the similar? Uh, so there will be lots of also lots of cases like Bill Clinton, William Clinton. Uh, is it the same person or is it different? Of course, in, in the names and addresses, this problem is, is very serious. Um, so William J. Smith, Smith, William J. Bill Smith, date of birth, city of residence. Um, all of these would be understandable by just immediately looking at the data uh, for the person, it would be all understandable, but you have to have programs that make them equal. Right? The, these records are all about the same um, person, perhaps. If the names are very common, then you have a trouble. Right? If the names are less common, then maybe you can merge the records. If they are not so frequent, then you may need to apply some heuristic. And also with the dates, uh, it could be complicated, of course, the, the uh, month and date. Uh, we just passed the pi day, uh, 315, uh, three, sorry, 314. Uh, so somebody says, but in Estonia we don't have a pi day because we call it 14th of March, 13, uh, 14. Uh, slash three. So we need to identify objects, um, even if they have different names in different databases, and uh, we may need to understand which data sets, which data is original data, and what is derived <coughs> or calculated from all the other uh, data sets. So all the dependencies in the data would be somehow interesting. Uh, if something 
is calculated from the other attribute, then this should be correlated. So if you just do all by all correlation analysis, you may detect these attributes which are highly correlated. Um, there is a uh, open source product uh, which was Google Reply. Uh, now it has moved to as uh, Google is moving all the, pro uh, the projects from the Google code to other platforms like GitHub. Uh, then this uh, project is moving uh, with all the rest. But basically, you can grab uh, the source and install it uh, on the GitHub. Uh, on the videos, you can watch and see how the data uh, cleaning may look like and what the tool very much looking like an Excel-like uh, interface, but how you can uh, look at the values, uh, what types of, what is this, uh, whatever the PFD is in here, what are the values, how frequently they have been used, and maybe you would say that, oh, but these two the acronym and the full length name, they are exactly the same. And you can clean up data also manually in here. Uh, so now it's in the open refine and uh, uh, the book and the uh, descriptions of what kind of tasks you can do with these kind of tools, uh, which, which would be quite uh, cumbersome to do in, the, in Excel, for example. Uh, so, so this probably you have to uh, look at the tool and the features at home. So the next in making data more comparable is is somehow what we call normalization. So the measurements can, can have different, slightly different uh, distributions and making more things more comparable means that somehow we make, need to make the distributions uh, more comparable or so that they, they are resembling each other better. Um, so for example, if you, this represents, uh, this is very uh, simple simplistic view of the data, you have one, two, three, four data sets, then greens, reds, uh, and two of the blue ones in here. What you can immediately see by just plotting the data values is that they have very different mean. This is below, but this is the mean is minus 0 0.3, somewhere in here. This is around 0. Uh, this is uh, 0 0.3, this is 0 0.4 perhaps. If you would ask, like to ask, is somebody, is some value higher than average, then you would call all the green or red points higher than average. But within the reds, you should ask, is this value higher or below the average? So that you could immediately say that, okay, for each data set, we know the mean, the average, so let's subtract from every value the mean value. And in this way, if you subtract the mean, then you should bring all the data sets to the same baseline so that all the data sets should have the mean 
around zero, and then you have higher and lower values. So the mean centering is the simplest thing that you could do. In the bioinformatics uh, field, um, I've been working with the data from uh, from so-called gene expression microarrays. When you take uh, sample the cells uh, from uh, say from from yeast sample, yeast or human sample, you can take the the, the different tissue types, or you can take the different uh, before and after the drug treatment, you can take, compare anything. Uh, so for example, you, you take the yeast that makes the good beer uh, and the yeast that makes the awful beer, you can take out, out the RNA and see which genes are active in one or the other. So label uh, one sample uh, green, uh, dyes, fluorescence, the other sample is a red, and then these are mixed and thrown over this microarray where there are complementary uh, uh, pieces of DNA so that these samples would hybridize, hybridize in, the, in the same location and then they would compete. If, if the greens are in, in abundance, higher abundance, then they will outnumber the reds. And when you later, later scan for these different wavelengths, you could see that this value, the green, is more intensive than the red. Therefore, this the for this particular gene in the genome, uh, it was more active in this set than in this set. Yes. You can measure things. Uh, so the, these are huge images that are image that perform image analysis. The signal is extracted. Basically, the green signal extracted, the red signal is extracted, and now we have for the same spot we have two signals. Red, green, green, and red. And then you can uh, look at uh, what is the ratio between green and red. You can do first logarithmic normalization and then look at, look at what is the, the difference of the logarithms, which is basically the same as logarithm of the ratio. Uh, and uh, you can look at the overall intensity of the data. And then you can plot. So what happens in here? On this axis, we have the sum of the signals. Both signals are high, so this, these are very bright spots. This end is the sum of the signals is low. These are very dim points. Right? Uh, what is on this axis? If it's zero, that means that this ratio is one. So they are at equal intensity. And what you can see is uh, that there is clearly trend that in high intensity points, the one signal which happens to be red is larger than green, so the red signal is more intense on the high end of the intensity, and in the low end of the intensity, vice versa, green is more intense. So you can't say for this particular value, oh, this is for this, this is below the uh, equal ratio, so this must be that, that what is the ratio 
below zero. So that must be that that red is at the lower quantity. This is below zero. In fact, you see that this is above the threshold, above this signal in here. Red is more intense, but the data is skewed so that we measure in here. We see in here more the green, and in here more the red. So basically what has to happen is that we have to bend the data somehow to the same baseline on average. So that is part of the data normalization, to make it comparable in the high end of the intensity and the low end of the intensity. Uh, these are two samples looking at x, y. You can think of, uh, again, the, the green and the red. And you can see that in one case, uh, so the distribution somehow gets skewed. Normalization should bring these to the same to the same level, right? And then you can compare the, the larger and the smaller values. So here the two distributions are clearly separated. Why don't we try to make them align over each other? So from this what I was sort of talking, if you understand how the data is uh, roughly generated, from this, we would like to get into this situation. Right? So if there is some skew <coughs> that is artifact of how the data was acquired, then we, in here, have tried to get rid of these artifacts so that we clearly can say which values are, uh, that these values in here are not uh, small values, but in fact they are larger values above there. Right? So that is what the data normalization would allow you to do. So transformation uh, part, we take the data in and we transform the data so that it could be more comparable for the actual analysis that we need to perform. Um, if you analyze customers and you know that normally you buy products about, I don't know, 15 or 20 euro basket, you, you go shopping and you buy food for about 20 euros on average, and those who buy less or those who buy more, of course the more, they are better customers for you. But just before Christmas, everybody buys more, right? That doesn't make every customer good during Christmas. There are still, you would expect that the average is higher in Christmas. And you, you set a different average for the Christmas period to look at the above the average and below the average. So that is the, uh, the same explanation of this normalization. So you could normalize by the by the total sales in that period. Uh, okay, so that was about the transformation. Data reduction, we already, in a way, we said that 
we can do these different things. We can uh, get rid of, of, of some attributes if there are linear correlations, then we can impute the data or sort of always generate the data. We can replace the complex data by the just group, ID, uh, long, high precision. Floating uh, point numbers we can replace by the, the bin names. If there is more, less values, we can represent that in the smaller space in the bits. So that already is data reduction. Uh, but what we can do is, later in the course we talk about data cube aggregation. Uh, what we can do is dimensionality reduction. So if you have, if you have hundreds of attributes, the data maybe, maybe two-thirds of those are irrelevant for particular tasks. So let's just ignore, throw them away for the analysis. Data compression is kind of tricky. Data compression can be done in different ways. Um, if you do zip or well, gzip or, or, or whatever the data compression, then in order to analyze data, you would need to decompress it. But there are, of course, schemes that allow to compress the data and burn to the compressed data. And uh, the beauty of that is that you can then feed more data into the machine memory, which is faster, right, to get rid of the disk access. Uh, okay, I will go. Discretization and concept priority generation. So discretization, we, uh, the binning was one, uh, clustering was the other, but uh, uh, discrete, Data types are, they could be nominal, ordinal, continuous. Real continuous are real numbers, integers, real numbers. Ordinal values, this is a ordered set, military rank or academic rank. So you have clear order in them. But in the profession, you don't have the ordering or, or in the color. So they are just unordered set. So basically, you can uh, take the numbers and discrete discretize into any of these, uh, well, into the nominal or ordinal uh, sets. Uh, look at this. Concept hierarchy from, uh, formation. Instead of saying some birth date of the person, why don't we call them young, middle-aged, or senior? Right. So we already have additional information uh, that we can use as factors in the, in the data analysis. So we could have a grouping of the data based on this, rather than having the birth date. Uh, so these higher level concepts are help to reduce the data, but also to understand later the data analysis output. Um, if we do look at the age groups, and you would say that these are the uh, young people or uh, children until 18 years, years of uh, age. And these are the uh, age group that goes to, should be go, uh, working or sort of adults. And these are the uh, retired people. If you just do like this, then this is, there is a problem that the widths of all the beams are very different. And the number of examples is very different in each category. So it would be somehow 
either we will try, should try to keep every category as large uh, as the others, or at least to do something with the, with the big boundaries again. Zero to 20, by 20 years, first 20, second, third, and from 61 to all the rest, uh, whatever the highest age is. <coughs> and, and in here, if these are the equal widths, somehow you could see that uh, well, at least these two numbers are uh, comparable to each other, but there is less uh, children. Which may be, of course, uh, okay if they are customers. You don't expect too many customers in the, in the youngsters' age group. In here, for the age is something that you can relate to very easily, right? You can think how, how you would uh, segment the, the values. But uh, how would you classify how would you classify the salary ranges? Where is the low earning, mid earning, and high earning category? Where you would put the threshold? Just find out uh, by trial and error. By trial and error. Where the uh, number of people are similar. So, so there has to be equal number of poor as rich. Uh, not equal, but uh, not uh, like. <coughs> More equal than uh, simply ten rich and hundred poor. Uh, life is tough, and that is the distribution that we do. Fewer the rich than the than the poor. But anyway, anyway, but but my point is that salary. Well, the things that you, you you somehow can associate, you can start arguing somehow. Okay, we know the the something about we can relate. We we, we somehow cannot make up uh, the the ranges. But the point is that if you have the attribute that you have no prior information, how would you segment that? Yes. Well, we could uh, cluster or see where there are clusters and try and differentiate or put our. Well, you can do the density, of course, uh, plot for every new uh, numeric data value. So. I, I'm showing this as, as uh, this, is a little, this is a little bit ad hoc, maybe. To me, it seems a little bit ad hoc, but, uh, uh, but at least you, you, you can somehow should think along, uh, you, you know, nothing about the data, numeric data ranges, and we would, have to, we would like to have them grouped automatically. So this is a technique called segmentation by natural partitioning, and this applies so-called 3-4-5 rule. 3-4-5 uh, means that in, in, certain, in certain view, I, should, uh, I would like to compare three groups, or maybe four or five, but not 17. We would like to have the small number of groups. Or intervals, and three, four, five rules says that we we look at the particular range and then split, try to split 
it into three equal intervals, four equal intervals, or five equal intervals. Uh, if the number of distinct values at the most uh, uh, sort of the most significant digit or somehow the most important part, uh, if this is three, six, or nine distinct values, and you can fit in also the seven. Of course, three, six, and nine are divisible by three. So why don't we call them in three equal with intervals? One, two, three, or by two. Two, four, six, or by three. Three, six, nine. And three, six, seven would be probably two, two, three, or two, three, two. So if, there are, uh, if it's divisible by three, then let's split into three intervals. If it's divisible by two, four, or eight, then we partition into four intervals. Uh, quarter, one, or two. And the uh, rest is one, five, or ten. So then we try to split it into five intervals. So we have covered one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Uh, if we can split, if we have uh, this number of most significant range, then we can split into three, four, or five categories. Very abstract. What does it mean in, in practice? Is that this is the uh, again the salary example? No, or, or no. This is the profit example. It could be some profit data. You could have negative profits or loss. You could have high profits. So. If you look at this range from 1,000 to 2,000, and you would like to split this further, then this is one unit, and then we split it into one, two, three, four, five groups, right? But from 2,000 onwards, from 2,000 onwards, the, the highest value, the maximum value is 4,700, so it's not from 2,000 to 3,000, 3, it does not make sense. So you go from two to five thousand, and for this we have three extra groups: two to three, three to four, four to five. So in here we split into three. And uh, from here as uh, zero, so we, at the top level we have one, two, three, four. So the from some Estimated the smallest value, and you estimate what is uh, what is the the low fifth percent percentile. You round it up or down wherever you need to round it. Uh, so from minus four hundred to zero, uh, there is naturally four different groups. So you, you take in the data values from minus three hundred fifty one dollars to plus four thousand seven hundred dollars, and you make. Uh, you make the round of ranges so that uh, uh, this range needs to be classified. So you get from minus uh, 400 to zero, then by 1,000 in here, and uh, from 2,000 to 5,000. So these are the top level natural groups, but within each group, you have a different number of subgroups. In here, you fit three, five, 
five and four, three, four, five rule. And in this way, you could basically take in any numeric data, try to see the distribution, and try to see by the most significant digit how many, uh, where your range is. If it's from 7,000 to 11,000, then you know that there should be four groups in the data. Right? 7 to 8, 8 to 9, 9 to 10, 10 to 11. If it's 7 to 12, there, there is five groups. If it's 7 to 10, three groups. And, and by this uh, very simple heuristic, you can automatically generate some kind of grouping of the data into partition, partitioning the data into different groups. And later we could uh, draw some histograms or some other information about those people in this group, the company sizes or, or etc. So just having the data, you can have the minimum, maximum value, fifth, per, uh, fifth percentile, 95th percentile, you do the rounding. Uh, the most significant digit, you're looking at the millions, uh, uh, the low, round down, high, round up, you have the ranges, and then within each range, you apply this three, four, five rule recursively. And then you get these different groups. Uh, first, second, third, and fourth, and then you recursively keep doing this, and you have within each group, you have these sub-ranges. So that was for numeric data. For other types of attributes, for example, if, if, how do you understand which one is uh, like street, city, state, and country? There is far less countries in the world than there is states within all the countries, right? So there should be less countries, more states, even more cities, and even more streets. If there is some relationship, uh, by just looking at, at the number of different values, how many different values there is possible, then maybe you can uh, group the attributes and say that this is the higher level concept, uh, uh, the top level hierarchy, let's look at the by the country. Uh, within the country, you can look at by the state, city, or street. So the, this kind of Concept hierarchy, if you don't manually know in advance what the field means, you may apply this numerosity, count how many different values, and then try to make calculation is this true that this, these cities are within the state, that this is really the uh, streets are within the cities, are within the states, are within the countries. Is there this hierarchy between the values? Fifteen countries, three hundred sixty-five provinces or states, uh, thirty-five hundred uh, cities, and six hundred seventy-four streets. Distinct. So you can build this kind of hierarchy between the uh, the values. You can't apply this always. There is only seven week days, twelve months, four quarters, and many years. So year is a more high-level concept. But there is more years than there is weekdays. More months than weekdays. So 
but this is very specific. Uh, the date is very specific, and you should be able to detect the date uh, otherwise. Okay, uh, so we have been now going, as you can see, somehow. It's, it's not very systematic theoretic thing. There are different tricks and bags of bag of uh, kind of uh, uh, tricks and, and uh, techniques that you can apply in the in the entire pre-processing phase. You have to look at the data. You have to try to understand how to clean the data, what needs to be done with the data, how how you would need to integrate the data, do you need to uh, transform the data? Are there some discrepancies in the data? For the downstream analysis, we would like to have the data made as small as possible so that the algorithm would be more efficient. Uh, concept hierarchies will be useful in interpreting the final results. Uh, so all these steps, kind of hands-on skills. If you do not do this, you don't understand all the complexities uh, that you may face. But this is absolutely necessary to make sure that when we take data in, that we pre-process it suitably so that we can actually start doing analysis. Any questions about this topic? How about to select the most significant feature? Like in given uh, this uh, profit uh, example, yeah. Uh, well, when there was uh, other example, like uh, one million was chosen as the most significant feature. Yeah. Um, what's the rationale there? Uh, because the numeric range was such that you were talking about millions, not billions. Otherwise, for billions, there would be all. So, it should be kind of in the middle? Sir? Should, should it be kind of in the middle? No, no. Somehow, the intuition is that. Okay, the concept hierarchies that we, we showed in here, in this data cube aggregation, uh, you would need the kind of understanding. Let's let's look how my shops are performing in this uh, in this state versus the other state. Uh, how my customers in this group are behaving. So when you want to compare the things, you should have somehow. Uh, the number of groups that you compare should be relatively small. You can't easily compare hundreds if you visualize later to the, to the decision maker. Right? So the rationale is somehow that uh, almost like maximum that you can grab is seven different bullet points or seven, seven different things you can memorize. So somehow the number has to be relatively small but uh, interpretable by the human. So that's, that's why we needed to have this kind of comprehensible, somehow understandable number of groups. And, and in this example, you just looked at the, at the uh, if your data is from, from minus 400 to, to 2.5 million, then the, the millions are the, the top range. Uh, so the one, two, three millions and the below zero. That was the range you think of this most significant was the billions. And if you want to dig into the billions, then you look at the hundreds of thousands, either, either by, by 200 
groups. By the three, four, uh, five rule, first you would have top level concept three or four of those five million, and then you would have by 200,000. 200, 400, eight, hundred. That was the three, four, five rule. Okay, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm just introducing the topic of clustering, which you could as, uh, associate uh, as customer segmentation. We would like to have the groups. What are the typical groups of customers, right? What are the typical examples in the data? Uh, so what, what the clustering really kind of is, this is the data. Uh, very small part of the data, and what you would somehow need to do to understand or summarize this data is, is to cluster the objects in there. So what is the clustering output from here? It's this. So different examples of the stars measured by some similarity measure. So you have some unknown data, and you would like to get some groups in the data. Uh, if this is the complex data, uh, you would like to clean the mess up and get the groups in the data by similarity. In here, you can see also that the grouping you could do by, in, obviously here it's by, by color, right? Uh, but within the group, you can still apply some further ordering. So grouping and ordering or clustering and further seriation or overall seriation ordering uh, are basically trying to organize data uh, for better understanding or, or visualization purposes. Um, why is this one in there, not here? But somebody has to make the decision is this more similar to cars in there or cars in, in here? Right? And we need to have the algorithms. So this is the clustering, and within the clustering, ordering. Uh, how do you cluster this? How do you make uh, the clean version of this soup? You order the objects. Uh, or you order the Angela Merkel by the <laughs> color of the check. You get the continuum of, of the data. And you need to write the program for that. How do you do that? So what are the algorithms uh, that achieve uh, this kind of uh, clustering or grouping? Similar things have to be there. Uh, so in here there is the ordering uh, by similarity. 
so that you could say that we want to minimize in this in this case you could think that this is the traveling salesman problem through the through the all the shades of Angela Merkel's jacket. Traveling salesman, what is the shortest difference to the next next step? And go through all the jackets and put them, what is the shortest path through all the uh, data points? It's a traveling salesman problem. Um, the similarity, well, in here you can clearly see the, well, you have seen this uh, picture mosaics. So instead of the original picture, this is the eye. We just try to find the, what is the, what are the most similar uh, pictures to this one sub-region of the original data, and then uh, you can get nice artistic um, uh, images. So this is actually just replacing one region by the most similar uh, pattern from the database. So clustering is uh, grouping data objects, data points, uh, by uh, the, the their similarity. So what is the clustering? I'm sort of hinting what, what this is, uh, just trying to group the data. Um, and we will be looking at uh, very standard uh, methods. One is for hierarchical clustering, one is the other is uh, k-means clustering. One tries to build the entire hierarchy of all the data points. The other tries to just group the data into k groups. And k is given by the end user. I want to see 13 groups in my data. And then k-means returns you k, uh, 13 groups. Self-organizing maps, some density-based methods. Uh, so these are the algorithms that we are going to cover. Um, just to give the intuition how the clustering may work, and also a little bit to understand what is the what is the algorithmic uh, complexity behind the clustering. Uh, clustering is also like called a little bit machine like machine learning, uh, but we have two types of uh, machine learning: unsupervised and supervised. So unsupervised learning is really find me the clusters in the data. Find uh, inherent groups in the data, I don't tell you what the groups are. Supervised learning is that we know the groups, we know the, uh, we know the, uh, the trustworthy or good or bad customers, and we would like to learn to classify between them. In here we don't know anything about the, about the types of customers. We would like to de detect the types of customers. And then later we can ask, uh, does, it, does somebody belong to one or the other class? But in here, the class is known, and we would like to know how to differentiate between the class, so that later when a new customer comes in, we, we could do the inference. Is it this group or that group? So it's uh, part of... Uh, it's related to machine learning, but what it, it would be called as unsupervised learning. Finding the groups, and obviously by just looking, you can look at data, and you would tell me that there are, of course, there is three groups of data, three clusters in the data, right? 
Donc, il se passe sur le glisser. C'est pas Mastering is very natural thing. We, we need to somehow classify things. We need to we need to understand the world. We need to we need to generalize. Mastering right? is like generalization. And uh, definitely, it's an old problem. Many of the methods have been already applied even before the computers uh, or the thinking of this. So definitely, there is there is there are some some intuition behind that. But still, there is no single, the, the only best method. It may depend on the, on the data. Okay, so this is what comp uh, computer would see. Computer would see the, the nine data points with four attributes. These are vehicles, top speed, color, air resistance, weight. You understand what the uh, attributes mean. And now, your algorithm should group the data into, into groups. Those who have been in the fall in the algorithmics uh, course, you have seen this, so you better uh, not answer. But the rest of you, tell me what are the groups in this data? Weight. Weight. Weight is on attribute. Okay, you see that one, two, and three groups of the the, the light, lead weight, and heavy. You are driven by the parking lot example. So the, the classroom would say that let's group but in, in the beginning, you could say that let's take all the attributes into account somehow, measure the, the, which rows are most similar to each other, right? But then the problem is red is similar to red, uh, but the weight, how, how to put the different uh, weight on different attributes? Do we need even all the attributes? Uh, but this is what you would, uh, of course, uh, write the program that first you, you use all the attributes. To say that, oh, we are only it's sufficient to use subset of attributes is almost like feature selection. Which features are the most important for this task? Out of the more features, subselect, uh, subselect for the uh, smaller set. Um, okay, but, but this, uh, this example, of course, you can, you can do some two by two about weight and speed. Um, so basically you have the heavy, light, and mid weight card. Drawing the line between in here on one dimension maybe was not so strong, but now in the two dimensions you can see that clearly there is the way there are two, three groups of cards. And then you then you can associate some other labels to it, right? So the data points, uh, uh, the three clusters. So we selected two features. Top speed and weight. So we have the feature space. Originally, we had four features. You could even make them higher, sort of by, you can artificially generate more features in the fact. But uh, we have subselected for two features in here. 
And uh, what is not in the data in here, of course, is, is, not, is, is the interpretation. There is no interpretation in the data. This interpretation in here to call these uh, types of cars lorries uh, is, uh, or label them by lorries is something that human can do. Uh, so these are very fast and relatively uh, heavy. They have to be stable. So uh, fast, heavy sports cars. And these are the, the lightweight, uh, medium market, cheap cars. So, uh, reiterate the problem of clustering, identify the small number of groups of similar objects uh, in the large object space. Uh, once we have the groups, we can say that for a group, we could somehow find a representative for the entire group. This group is represented by this typical example. Right? But then we can somehow attempt it to do data compression. Uh, Natural clusters and the describer properties somehow understands, uh, helps us to understand these, uh, these customers in, in particular segment, for example. Uh, so the cluster should be somehow useful. Uh, if, some, if some object does not belong to some of the typical clusters, maybe they are outliers. So doing a good clustering may allow you to do very good outlier detection. Something that is out. Uh, of the normal. Uh, outlier detection could be even applied in the in the uh, computer security. <coughs> what are the typical behaviors on the computers? What are the typical log? You generate logs. What are the typical use cases for the computer? You understand what is typical, and then everything that is outlier is suspicious for a cyber attack, for example. For the clustering, it would be nice to find groups such that within the cluster, everything is very similar. Right? But between the clusters, the cluster should be as far from each other as possible. So then they are very distinct groups. Uh, Intercluster within the cluster, distances should be somehow minimized, and between the clusters, uh, distances should be maximized. Finding the groups or ways how to find the groups so that the, the clusters are distinct from each other. Um, not all the data has the clusters, though, but, uh, but it, ideally, you should find the groups that are similar and far, or similar between each other and far uh, as compared to the other clusters. Okay, more exercises. How many clusters in each image? And what is the common algorithm that would allow you to detect the clusters? This one, how many clusters? We said that within the cluster, objects should be similar to each other. How is this one similar to that one? 
these two ends are very far from each other. This is much more closer to this one, or this one is much closer to that one than that one. Right? Already we break down a little bit on the, on the, on the features, what, what I of a good clustering should do. Of course, this is two clusters, but you, should, you understand that they have different size and shape. How many clusters in here? Mm -hmm. Two. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't, do we want to call this two groups or do we just call it one group? Maybe it's three. Maybe it's three. <laughs> it's possible. The same which I did here applies in here. So, so this is, uh, of course, uh, visually you see that clearly the two uh, groups of data. But again, similarity from this to this is more as compared to this to that. Right? So in here, there are some density-based methods would like to would identify dense regions that are disconnected from the other dense regions. Right? And in this case, it's just a region Density, dense region, but we don't call, we do not demand that the, all the objects would be similar within one group, as long as, long as there is some chain of, of uh, movement. So, in here, if you say that uh, K means with 13 clusters, K means we will return you 13 clusters from this state. What is the correct number of clusters in here? One. Um, so you would go back to the uh, to the supermarket CEO and say that you have only one type of customer. If there is a continuous space for all the customers. In that case, four. In that case, four. <laughs> Uh, okay, and now there is a real test. So how many clusters in there? Who says the correct answer? Sir? Two and some outlier. Sir? Cluster? No, they are just points. This is just data. You are the IT people who know how to write code, right? You are the person you have, have been just trained at the university, right? Made the program that does the clustering. So, what your program will do in this case? So the, the point in here somehow is that there is no one single method that would fit all the examples in here. And, and there are different questions like, uh, how do we even know what might be the right uh, number? But the right number may depend on the task at hand, or maybe, maybe at some margin. 
picture. Maybe maybe this is a subset of, of the larger data set. Maybe then it's just one one class. And maybe if you want to do me, then you can do more classes in here. And also the methods for clustering clearly can be maybe quite different from each other. So depending what, what types of data you assume, you, you, you assume data like this one, like this one, uh, this, this, this. Um, still, we need to have programs. Yes? One of the odds that we're looking uh, only have two parameters. I mean, like for the green one, for example, uh, if I were to cluster this data, I would probably look at more than two parameters on an XY plot. And maybe on different parameters, they were separate. You, you know why I showed two two dimensions dimensions in here? Yeah, because uh, I can't fit in three dimensional pictures. Uh, sure, <laughs> but uh, I mean, if I if I were to cluster, but all of these, I, I could generate you exactly as nasty or even nastier examples in three dimensions, four dimensions. Yeah. This is a little bit just to illustrate the point that you may have the the you would like to have some dense regions that are separate from other dense regions in a way, but. But data still may not have any clusters, like in here. Or the dense regions may have very different sizes and shapes. And the assumptions that you make in your program, when you start programming, the different methods may bring out different, different types of clusters. So that's why we also have many different clustering methods. We are going to look at the hierarchical clustering, k-means, self-organizing maps, all of those you can apply in these data sets. All of those give you back some results that are partly sensible, and for some data sets maybe it breaks down. But they, all, of the, all of them give you back something that is a good starting point. Uh, OK, so uh, uh, this, this just illustrates the, the continuous, the same topic. It's sort of like, if this is the data, is this this clustering? Is it this clustering? Uh, if edge detection in here, texture clustering, somehow de detect the two uh, textures and, of the image. Uh, this clearly is, is the overlap of two different distributions. Maybe you can fit two uh, models in here, two distributions. But then in here I show you the red and blue, but you did not have the labels red and blue. That means that you would not know anything about a particular point doesn't come from one or the other distribution. Yeah, there is one group, the other, but they are partly overlapping. Uh, so, uh, partitioning versus hierarchical, uh, exclusive versus overlapping versus positive membership, this means that do we call every point strictly from one cluster or the other, or do we say that it has a probability to be from one or the other. It, it may belong to both. Right? Some methods make the assumptions that uh, every point will be in one cluster only. Right? Some other methods may say that for every point there is some probability to belong to any of the clusters, any of the distributions. And, uh, and now the methods, what is the intuition behind the methods? One intuition is to say that, okay, you have all the data points in here, there, there, there. Let's look at all the data, and those that are most similar to each other, at least we would say that these are in the same class. At least we are not going to separate them. Right? 
If we make them into one cluster, then next we may decide that, oh, but these are the next most similar. So these are also in the same cluster. And then maybe some other examples like these examples, and we make these examples in here. These are in the same cluster, these are in the same cluster, these are in the same cluster. And, and then we may need to start saying, oh, but this cluster and this cluster are very similar, right? We take the entire cluster compared to the other cluster and say that they are very close to each other, let's make into them into the larger cluster. And what happens is we make the agglomerative, start from single elements, start agglomerate, start grouping the things together in the same cluster, one by one, basically. Merge the two clusters, merge the two clusters, merge the two clusters, and we will build up the entire hierarchy and at the very top we have two clusters that both separate the two clusters, that's it. So we just start grouping all the pairwise distances and start merging the things together. That's the agglomerative bottom-up hierarchical cluster. And the details there will be how do we how do we measure the similarities? And uh, how do we measure the similarity when we have already clustered? So between the points similarity, but also between the group and the group, what is the group to group of similarity? The uh, partitioning method would say that we would just group the data into, say, uh, three or four groups. And you can, uh, the K means it's, it's such that, uh, that uh, you can originally just say that uh, I somehow have one, two, three, four arbitrary uh, groups in the beginning. And what k means does is that if we say k is 4, then we could say that oh, we start from four clusters, they can be arbitrary. And then we say that, okay, if you have one cluster, somehow n points in one cluster, then we say that instead of having n points in one cluster, we represent that as a middle point of that cluster. Then we have just four points that represent four clusters. And what we do next is, once you have the cluster candidate, then you look through all the data again, and every point you assign to the closest cluster. Then you get a different set of objects going into each of the four clusters. Still have four clusters, but a different group of points. And you can repeat the same process, because now you have a new group of points, Let's calculate a new center of gravity for that cluster. Once you have the centers of gravities, you assign every point to the centers of gravities, you have again a new grouping. But it will bring the centers of gravities to the dense regions so that you have the centers of gravity that are in some dense regions, and at the end you have four segments of the data. You run it until it stabilizes and nothing changes anymore. So that is the k-means uh, cluster. And then the last one is self-organizing maps. 
self-organized maps is a little bit like uh, like uh, the idea behind there was uh, let's try to make a hypothesis how the brain works. In the brain, you have neurons. One neuron knows about one type of thing. You have one neuron for uh, for the tables uh, and one neuron for Jennifer Aniston. Uh, okay, maybe five. Uh, let's grab the examples from the data and associate them to the neuron that is most likely to belong. Right? And once you get the new example, you slightly modify that. You, you train that neuron a little bit. Right? You get more examples of the tables. That neuron will resemble all of the tables. You get new examples of Jennifer Aniston, and you, you keep updating your vision. She gets older and older, you keep updating her, the Jennifer Aniston to grow older. Okay. Do you generate a new neuron or update the old one? Basically, you update the existing neuron uh, to the new version. So, and, and this way, the, the data is somehow self organized. You grab the data one by one, throw them into this associative map or associative memory, which is consisting of neurons, each one knowing about one type of object. You throw it in there, you update this neuron. And how the map organizes is that you also organize a little bit around the same neuron, the other neuron, so that one region of the map knows all the versions of the tables. They're in one part of the brain, all the versions of the tables. In the other part of the brain, all the versions of Jennifer Aniston. So you generate the maps of regions uh, where you have similar objects uh, in, the, in this self-organizing maps uh, made by Bevo Kohonen, Kohonen maps. Bevo uh, Kohonen was the author of these self-organizing maps. So these are some of the very simple uh, intuitions behind the clustering methods. And we are going to look at those uh, in two weeks' time. Because next week, uh, you have the regression methods. Okay.